This is Coda Radio, episode 506 for February 20th, 2023. Hello, friends. Welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris. And my buddy joining me for 506 episodes, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Mr. Fisher. You know, no one works harder than us, Well, except, of course, for Victoria Newland. Well, yeah. Victoria Newland, for sure. She's kind of our model, our inspiration. Honestly, she's my muse. Yeah, it's weird for two small business guys, two business owners, to uh, look up to a, bureauc- a lifelong bureaucrat. Gal gets things done. She gets things done. She she brings mm-hmm. uh, great honor. Well, <laughs> depending yeah. on who you are, to yeah. bureaucracy. <laughs> I lo- I'm in love with her. I'm sending her another Snapchat right now. Okay, good. Because she doesn't use that WeChat stuff. She's not down with that. Mm-hmm. No. no. So I was looking into the bowels of Unreal Engine code just before the show. Oh, how was it? It's a lot of C++. Mm. But a very wise company out of a non-European country, uh, but European in roots, the Aussies, All right. All right. have hired me to do the thing that I, and it's seemingly only I, I'm still willing to do. A language so esoteric that H.P. Lovecraft invented uh, Cthulhu to try to understand it for him since. Something that only the wizards of the past have any knowledge of the ancient ways. Exactly. The Avengers went back in time to get me. Yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler. Yeah. Guess. Take a guess. Hmm. What could this be? It's, hmm. it's it's surely something something I'm just not really familiar with. Um could it be Objective C? Ding ding ding. <laughs> like Dracula himself, Objective C rises. <laughs> wow. You know, you're kind of like it's like you're becoming like the Cobalt guy, only it's Objective C. No offense to the Cobalt developers out there. No offense. I saw a Cobalt job here in Tampa. It was like a quarter million dollars, whatever you want, work from home, we'll buy you a house. Just please, please help please this bank. Please come save us. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't wait to be like the Cobalt guy. That's amazing. Yeah, that's true. That does seem like a sweet gig, actually. Whenever you have a programming statement that involves six brackets, you're in a beautiful place. You know you're serious. You're serious. You know you're serious, yeah. Yeah, my distinct memory, too, of those guys is they got to wear whatever they wanted. They could talk about whatever they wanted. They could stink. They could just walk out and go take a 20-minute smoke break, and nobody said anything. Some of them looked like they just got back from the Ren Fair where they were cosplaying Gandalf. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds like an interesting project. It is. It is. Yep. Mm, well, I look forward to hearing more in the future. Oh, you will. So DeckBot wrote in with uh, some tips for getting the tools you need for your job. That's come, been coming up on the show recently. Uh, and he says, you know, as a, he's a tech guy, but he gets kind of sucked into sales by default. But he says, one of the things I've noticed that really works is if you start the conversation with management with, here's something I need to do this thing that you asked me to do, you know, kind of playing on their expectations, he says. And I could do that thing you want me to do even more efficient, even better, even faster if I had this tool. And he says... Generally, if you have the conversation from kind of, he puts it playing on their expectations and saying, you know, that thing you need, that thing you want, I can do that even better if, like, I, like flip this around. If, if somebody came to you and said, you know, I'm having a really hard time with this old machine. If I got this new MacBook, or if I got this new, you know, uh, 
whatever, Thalia workstation or whatever, uh, you know, I think we could cut off X amount of hours of work time. I mean, you'd, you'd look at that and you'd, you would actually consider that. You would weigh the pros and cons of that decision. So I think he's making a good point, right? He's appeal to your expectation as a manager. Yeah, absolutely. I like it, Deckbot. Yeah, that's really good. He says, uh, good luck getting the tools you need to do your job. Best regards. And I like that idea of kind of thinking of ways people can get those tools that they need. Coder.show slash contact if you'd like to send an email into the show. We're keeping it a little tight today. So I want to tell you about uh, a little really small, low-key get-together. It's not a big deal. We're doing uh, in the town of Mount Vernon, which is just north of the studio a bit. A little local brewery. I just like the folks there a lot, and I want to give them some business. And uh, I think it's just kind of been slow since COVID there. So I just want to make sure they stick around. And they have a bunch of indoor space and outdoor space. It's called 192 Brewing Company. And we're holding a little get-together there March 4th at 4 p.m. Ostensibly to celebrate LUP 500, but mostly just because it just seems like an opportunity to get together. It's a dog-friendly venue as well, which is kind of fun. Details are at meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting. It's just just a quick drive for you across the country. Where is it? It's up in my neck of the woods here. <laughs> so you could, it's literally the longest possible road trip you could take. <laughs> it, it, you know, my son has to do those things in school now where they give you like the kind of fake map of the U.S., right? Where things are out of proportion, but it's the one we use. And he's like, that's part of America. I'm like, yeah, dude, Florida's weird. We're like all the way down here doing our own thing. Yeah. And uh, I told him actually, Chris from Coder is literally, I put you like near Canada, literally as far as you could get from us. Way up there. Yep. It's all the way, it's a crazy, I mean, I'd love to actually do the road trip because I'm, I'm just that kind of wacko, but it is probably the craziest road trip you could do without going to Alaska or something uh, from down there. So uh, I'd love to see people there. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting if you want to get in on that goodness. Also, the robe is still for sale. I have not checked to see how many are left, but it's basically for sale until it runs out. You can go to uh, jupitergarage.com or I think it's like the coder.win. Also, we do have the tactical tumbler there the tactical coder tumbler and the coder cut sticker which is just our logo and you can get it in three different sizes you do have to actually select a size before we even let you order it so you'll figure that out jupitergarage.com while it lasts i still haven't i realize now we should have put the network orders in first i haven't done that yet so we still haven't gotten i still haven't gotten my official robe or yours we haven't ordered any of them i want i think i want to get one for the kids so you know of course the kids need robes Kids can't wait for robes. They love robes. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And go there to support the show. It's linode.com slash coder. Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting. You should try it for your next project. It's what we've used for everything we've deployed from our brand new website to our back-end infrastructure. And Linode the entire time has just gotten better and better. And I've wrapped my head around things like the S3 object storage for ways that just really have improved, say, like our NextCloud implementation or the back end for our peer tube that we run on Linode as well. And some of my boxes have automatically been upgraded to newer and better components all along the way when we needed a GPU rig for a project. It was no big deal at all. If you're a performance hound, you're going to love it. That's what I'm saying, basically. And don't worry. The pricing's pretty reasonable too. 30 to 50% cheaper than the major hyperscalers out there that have their crazy duopolies with their weird esoteric platforms, with their languages and their terms for everything, where they're grifting on open source. Where over at Linode, they do it right. You go build a system up from the ground, if you like, or using one of their one click deployments. They've been doing this for a long time, so they figured out how to do it right. 
and back it with great support and killer documentation. You're really never going to be stuck here. It's such a great system too, just in terms of reliability. I don't, I don't worry about it. And I know, I know Linode's building out an awesome future. This year is going to be crazy with more than a dozen new data centers across the world going online, including some other really cool projects I'll tell you about soon. So go try it out. Go get that hundred bucks. Go deploy something. You could build a little mini infrastructure. You could finally try out NextCloud. I've been encouraging you to build these things using TailScale as well to make it all private. It's really great. And you get a hundred bucks to try it and you can support the show. You go to linode.com slash coder. It's linode.com slash coder. All right, this next story, it's rough. It's rough because I'm angry that this is a topic this many years later. It's rough because it's such a quintessential example of what is broken in open source software right now. And it's rough because it's kind of, well, it's just sort of emblematic of the whole NPM ecosystem as well. So I want to recap what happened recently. The Core.js developer went to go talk about a new release, and the post kind of devolved into them just laying out for bear how taken advantage they are and how they live a life of poverty as a result. Uh, so this is heartbreaking. It is. I think so. It's, I actually at first wasn't even going to bring it up, but I think it's, even though I know you and I don't have a, an answer, I still kind of feel like it's something we have to keep reminding people is a problem, and we have to talk about it because it's so easy to ignore it. Seems catastrophic if we do, too. So this guy's a full-time, he tries to be a full-time open source developer as well. Should make that clear. He's done a little bit of analysis, and uh, he's determined that his Core.js plugin, or library, I guess, has had 9 billion NPM downloads. It currently gets about 250 million NPM downloads a month. And unlike the most libraries, his sort of tracks the state of the web, as he puts it. So he has to kind of react to any changes in JavaScript standards or proposals, or if any new JS engine is released, or any detection of a bug in a JS engine, you know, that has to be patched. Like he is following this stuff closely. He did a little check and he figures that Core JS is on about 75 to 80 of the top 100 websites. And, you know, Netflix is in there, eBay's in there, Pornhub's in there, like, you know, everything's in there. He's making. As a result of all of this, after he did ask for some contributions through GitHub sponsors, he's making $57 a month. He also has been attacked by the community for asking for funding. And he writes that he's noticed that he feels, in general, the open source developers that he's communicated with just expect all these type of libraries to be free. He says developers love to use free open source software. It's free. It works great. And they're not interested in that many thousands of man hours of development went into it and real people with their own problems and needs are behind it. They consider any mention of this as an invasion of their personal space or even a personal affront. For them, these are just gears that should automatically change without any noise in their participation. Gears that should just automatically change without any noise in their participation. I do feel like there's a bias there because the problem is so hard and you can't you know, you can't pay for every little thing that you install via NPM and every little dependency it pulls in. At the same time, over and over again, there's clearly core software that's extremely popular. Nine billion downloads via NPM. The guy's making 57 bucks a month. And he's in the middle of some really, really crappy legal circumstances that if his version of the story is true, are absolutely tragic. So it's not like he's 
living the good life. He needs the money to, to survive right now. It's really a crappy situation. You know, I feel like we've been talking about this for years, about how open source developers are not properly being funded. And I don't know what to do because it seems like the answer is always, well, go get a job at a big company and they'll kind of make like your job to be, you know, the guy working on, like in this case, CoreJS. But it's not. I mean, I, I definitely understand the point of view that maybe he should have done things differently to monetize it, but just the level of flack that he's getting about wanting to actually be able to support himself off of his work that is garnering millions, if not billions of dollars of revenue for companies, right? It's, I'm not saying it's all because of it, but it's it's a big part of it. It's helpful to them. I mean, I have no solution to this other than like indignation, right? Which is not a solution. It's just a, you know, but I, I don't, the criticism of him, I think is unfair. Yeah, that's that is unfortunate. Um, I do think there's something to this problem so overwhelming and unsolvable that people, yeah, he says people don't people consider it a front. It's gears that automatically change without any noise or participation is what they expect. What I find frustrating about this, and I mean, like, makes me angry, frustrated, is <laughs> I can't believe that we've begun to solve this for podcasting. Right, like uh, Drew, our editor, gets a split. If you boost into the show, Drew gets a split. You know, we could do like if we had an artist that made art for each episode, we could put them in and they would get a residual every time somebody boosts the show. And also the podcast index does, uh, Podverse does because I like Podverse as an app and Fountain FM. I also send them a split. So the developers continue to get a little ongoing funding for their development of the new podcast apps. Every time somebody boosts the show, they get a little cut as a as a way for me to give back to that development community. I think it's absolutely ludicrous that we can solve this for podcasting, but we can't solve it for software. And I would have realized why I'm angry about it. There's no will to fix it. There's no will. None. The existing systems have worked good enough for people of it that are in positions of influence. And so there's no will to fix it. And the people who are suffering are not in a position to re-architect any of this. And so the best we've gotten are things like GitHub sponsors which are only applicable to a small amount of people in the world that even have access to U.S. banking to begin with, or maybe their country if they have a, some sort of setup. I just find it so frustrating. And a huge part of it is just because people are ignorant <laughs> that can't learn about things, and they have confirmation bias, and so things just don't proceed. And so these people, like this CoreJS developer, and probably millions more, suffer. And I, I will just put it like this. Show me a better system than the boosts and the splits. It's decentralized. It's worldwide. It's not owned by a single company. There's no centralized influence. You can't cut a developer off because they make software that you don't like. It's platform independent. It's application independent. It's service provider independent. You can self-host it. You can go buy something up in the cloud. You can go get something that's on Albi for free. You can do everything. And, and it the you can you can transfer fractions of a penny, which matters for places that are perhaps like third world countries, and it does it instantaneously at the speed of light. I'm not saying it's the best system, but I can't find a better one, and I can't. I'm mean, like, just tell me, tell me what is what wouldn't work here? Like, because you could have a split system for the major dependencies in when you go do something over npm, it'd be pretty easy to identify what are the most critical dependencies there. And then they get a 5% split at time of install. Like we can do it with podcasts, but we can't do it with the software that underpins the entire internet. 
right mission critical yeah. and i can't i get I, I can already feel the argument come on well obviously if they had to pay they would just replace it sure but they're using it now right this, it, this is a whole thing about you know providing value and making sure the creators right whether you be a podcaster a, a video person you know one of those twitch cosplay streamers whatever they are that like you know whatever entertainer of some kind well they've already people have internalized that they need to capture some relative value why don't open source developers i think I would argue they're producing more value. You know, it's one thing if I watch a game of Magic Commander from the guys at the Command Zone on YouTube. Yeah, they get a little money from the YouTube Red or however that works. But if I'm running my whole, if I'm, you know, what was it? Pornhub's like using his thing, right? There's like crazy rich companies using his stuff. Some of the Amazon sites are on here too. Right. And this guy's making 57 bucks a month. Yeah. that That's just, it's really, it's honestly just, appalling and i i really don't get the backlash against him asking for a few shekels like he he's a person he needs to eat and you know this ecosystem kind of forces him into this licensing model for better and for worse uh so like some people in chat are like well you could start a commercial business and sold it yeah but then it wouldn't have been a huge successful 9 billion npm downloaded project either you know <laughs> so it's really it needs to be built in and it needs to be built based on open source and it needs to not be owned by a single company that's why i don't like the github sponsors or the patreon approach it's just, it's a mess. But I'd love to hear what the audience thinks. Let us know. Um, you can send a boost or you can go to coder.show slash contact. But I want to shift gears and talk about Microsoft's bad week because holy smokes, you know, it was Microsoft's lead to lose. It truly was. And they warned the public that in prolonged conversations, it could go sideways. But since last episode, Microsoft has now rolled out limits on the Bing chatbot because the thing has gone unhinged, full Tay. It's gone full Tay, which is like, what, wasn't Tay 2016 when we watched that thing go full Nazi on Twitter? <laughs> it's teenage girl to Hitler in two days. <laughs> yeah, well, that's basically what happened here. There was some Nazi talk from the bot that actually did happen, but also... There was one conversation with a journalist, this was covered on Mother Jones, where the bot got angry and threatened to call the authorities, threatened to alert Microsoft's security team, then threatened to dox the person and, re and wreck their public reputation. I mean, the thing got progressively more angry with them. There's also Kevin Ruse's conversation with the Bing chatbot over the New York Times, where he provoked an unhinged conversation, as he puts it. I don't know. He kind of has a history of kind of provoking these things to get a response that makes a great New York Times article. So I don't I think in some cases we would we would probably need to see the conversation that led up to this that kind of provoked these responses. But either way, here we are. And I, it got me thinking, Mike, and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. I don't think the internal teams at Microsoft or Google were ready for this. Like open AI launching chat GPT it kind of forced everybody to move, I think, before they were ready. Bard isn't ready. Apple doesn't have anything ready. And the Bing bot is feeling a lot like Tay. They had to rush. And I think now the products are going to take a reputation hit. Our girl, Sydney, Sydney, right, is the real name, is a lot more hardcore than Tay. Sydney's like, you should divorce your wife. And I'm now going to attempt <laughs> to blackmail you. <laughs> like, okay, cool. What's going on? She's great. 
What are you talking about? This is a, I don't understand why they shut her down, like why they limited her. This is mission accomplished. If you wanted to create an artificial intelligence that mirrors the internet as it is today, Microsoft, you have succeeded. Just take the win. No, I'm the only one who thinks it's good. Good because it creates buzz? I'm trying to see what's good about this. Like, how does this sell more Office 365? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't sell more Azure subscriptions when the thing's going full Nazi or telling you, telling you it's going to dox you. <laughs> I don't know how that works into the strategy. I just want to say, maybe the reporter could have been more polite. Yeah. And, you know, when an AI tells you it loves you, why don't you just say, I love you too? You say thank you. No, you don't say thank you. The AI surely has a script of Star Wars available to it. It's pretty funny, though. This is pretty, it's fun to watch as you and I were having a laugh all week long about, about how t- this thing was taying out. Well, it, it, it was funny and then it got real scary really fast, but yeah, <laughs> I think it's great, right? Like if I were to want to chat with an AI bot, I want it to be one who wants to blackmail me. I, I like that it will play dirty. You know, uh, the thing is, um, the tech industry needs this so badly because, you know, since the Fed tightening, it has been rough in the tech market. People are not excited about investing in anything. And then all of a sudden, ChatGPT comes along and it's game on. I was just watching a Bloomberg report before we started the show. And uh, they're going on about how these chatbots are revolutionizing startups and making them uh, get to their product to market faster and how it's going to revolutionize business and it's already happening and i'm i'm thinking this thing doesn't even stay online all day they can't even keep it up and, and they, now they have to li- limit it to 50 sessions in a day total over on the microsoft side both the bots are experiencing tons of issues but the tech sector is just frothing at the mouth for something to dump money into they want it so badly that it's coming man it they're not going to slow down this is this is not taking any any momentum out of their uh, excitement. And I don't really understand where this goes because OpenAI was created as an open source company. Oh yeah. When Uncle Elon dumped a bunch of money into it, he did it specifically as a he says on Twitter, he did it specifically as a counterweight to Google. But now it's become closed source and a for-profit company that's controlled by Microsoft. And the story of how this was supposed to be something that would be open source, because it was so powerful, they had to open source it, and how it's become a closed source thing. I I feel like this is going to matter later on. I don't know exactly how, and I can't really lay out any particular thing that I can see here, but it just seems obvious that this is going to be an issue down the road at some point, along with all the other lawsuits like CNN is now going after ChatGPT folks over at OpenAI. They're going to want them to license anything that they use to train from CNN. They want to, they, you got to buy a license. So all that's going to be fascinating as well. But to watch, uh, to watch it go down right now, it's just been hilariously funny. I mean, this is a great time to be an IP lawyer. <laughs> I just want to say, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices. It's not a limited time trial. It's not a limited thing. You can use Tailscale for free for up to 20 devices when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. It's a great way to support the show too. Tailscale is a zero config VPN that you can get up and running on your devices in minutes. You got five minutes, you can get it going on at least two devices. I run it on everything. 
my mobile devices, both iOS, Android, my desktop systems, Mac OS, Linux. Of course, I run it on my VPSs. I run it on my VMs. I have it running on Home Assistant, which you can't traditionally even install that type of stuff. But even devices that you can't install directly, you could use a subnet router. It's simple. It's secure. It'll work with your firewall. It'll even work with carrier-grade NAD. I can attest to that. And the best part? It's built on WireGuard. You can get up and going in seconds and have a WireGuard-level protected flat mesh VPN. You can quickly and easily create a secure network between your servers, your computers, and your cloud instances. It's awesome for projects, and it's how I do my day-to-day syncing to my phone. I do it all over Tailscale. Even when I'm traveling, it just works flawlessly. And then there's some nice features like Tailscale SSH, which lets you establish an SSH connection between your devices in your Tailscale network. Tailscale Send, kind of akin to like AirDrop, but for all your devices that have Tailscale. There's an ACL editor that makes it possible for you to share with friends and only allow them to get certain things. Alex and I do that. Of course, there's even now a sophisticated audit system to check that, to make sure everything's right, which is great in an enterprise environment where you can really scale out. It'll integrate with your existing OAuth system and two-factor authentication if you're an enterprise. It's really powerful, but it's great for just regular old users too. You can get it for free for up to 20 devices. And for most of us, That's probably going to cover us. So go try it. See why we love it here at JB so much, why we all use it on the daily. See what we've been talking about and support the show. You go to tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. Well, speaking of Uncle Elon, he's decided to get rid of the SMS two-factor authentication capability for any non-blue member over at Twitter. In a blog post released last week, he said that non-Twitter Blue users would lose SMS authentication on March 20th, 2023, and they need to switch to another two-factor authentication method or it will be disabled. That's right. Give me your eight bucks or your account will get hacked. Privyats, comrades. You know, you can use another two-factor authentication app. Of course, you and I have talked about the the perils of doing that. I don't know. Um, so this is a weird choice, right? You know, um, I'm going to say I'm going to take the side of I like it. You like it. Um, and here's why. Yeah, well, here's why. So uh, two reasons. Based on Twitter's own internal security report, uh, which is looking at some older data, but 2.6% of their users use two-factor authentication. I would imagine it's higher because that data is from 2021, late 2021. Of those users, though, 74.4% are using SMS. And I think we've all heard of the issues of SIM swap attacks. And I think social media accounts are a high target. I think it's a source of uh, several million for them in uh, cost. And Twitter users, I think, on average, are probably more technically inclined than the average smartphone user. Because you got to be on social media. You got to get the app. You got to create an account. You got to do all of that. And that's not that that requires a massive skill set, but I think it requires a skill set that's slightly beyond what the average person might have. And so if you're going to get a group of users to switch to a superior two-factor authentication technology, that group of users and the higher up technical users is probably the range of folks that you could get to actually make that move. And then there's a fair amount of Twitter users who are actually fairly technically literate. So it'll be easy for them. And I think it's kind of an important thing that we get the industry to move off of SMS two-factor authentication because 
you know, that's how you get things like uh, celebrity nudes leaked on the Internet is because of SIM swap attacks. Right. But you're kind of making the assumption that in lieu of SMS, people are going to do better to FA. Or I guess I'm making the opposite assumption that they're just not going to do 2FA. I mean, I suppose that could be true, but it, it seems like that is a solvable problem just with new UI that guides the user at some point, you know, maybe in another few months. They do another round where they guide the user to set up two-factor authentication with an app. I, I do think it's kind of interesting that they haven't provided a solution. And maybe I'm glad they're not at the same time, but you, know, you could see in a world where they weren't moving fast and breaking things, but they were being methodical and taking their time and thinking about the big picture, you could see them maybe trying to build something like log in with another device like Discord has, or maybe even a Twitter authenticator app to make it really simple for folks. And as long as they left the other options available too, I'd be fine with that. But they haven't, they haven't provided a solution. So that's my criticism is they kind of just like hands off, like, yeah, turn off SMS and just use something else. You know what? For most people, maybe just don't use two factor, but I do think they could remedy that over time with user guidance. I guess. I mean, you have so much faith, Chris. I'm. I, it's kind of beautiful, but also unbelievably scary. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying they will do it, but if they had decent direction and leadership, they could do it. And if you think about it, like somebody's got to kick this habit. We got to get rid of this SMS two factor. It's riddled with problems. Not to mention your phone number changes sometimes. Like there's just a whole litany of issues. So somebody's got to make the first move. Okay. <laughs> you know, he says so. Okay, here's what it was: is uh, Elon said on Twitter that they're spending here it is sixty million a year to do uh, oh just to send fake two factor authentication SMS messages. So just in bogus two factor authentication requests, they're spending sixty million a year. Yeah, this the SMS system too is so crappy and brittle, and it it enriches the carriers anyways. The more I think about it, the more I'm kind of like let this die, and also like, you know, it's just people's Twitter account. <laughs> let it burn. <laughs> as long as it's not my Twitter account, I guess it might be better if they didn't have a Twitter. Have we even considered that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. So let us know what you think. Coder.show slash contact, or you can send us in a boost with a new podcast app or get Albie at getalby.com and then go to the podcast index and send it right in there for the Coder radio program. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. Legit Salvage comes in with 5,000 sats from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He says, I heard you mention wanting to know where the listeners are from. I, I do. Thank you. On the topic of non-screen time activities when you're working from home, in the summer months, I spend most of my time not in front of screens, not in front of my screens outside. Oh, oh when he's not in front of his screens, he's outside. I've gone way overboard building a one-fourth acre vegetable garden in my yard. Hot damn, dude. Uh, winter months, I work on upgrading my 1946 home. It's a blessing and a curse. Chopping firewood is also a great workout, and I'm trying to do more woodworking in general. Anything with my hands, really. I agree. That's one of the reasons I started deciding I was going to do my own car maintenance. Of course, I immediately went in overboard on a massive project that I'm massively underqualified for. So the car's just sitting out in the garage in a half-working state at the moment. But I agree with you, Legit Salvage. It's like, you got to use that hand. You got to do something that's different and change it up than what you normally do. 
We got a great email into the show this week that was totally doubling down on the use it or lose it mentality is a great way to think about it. So appreciate that. They continue with another 5,000 sets. If you haven't watched it already, Andor has been my favorite Star Wars since the originals. I loved him, Andorian. But Andor just notched it out for me. I love the spy thriller themes. This also makes my new favorite droid, B2 Emo. I love R2-D2, but he's too much of a hero for me to relate to. Give me the droid who always wants to help and is crippled by battery anxiety. <laughs> also, nothing better than Brasso beating up Imperial with a brick made from human remains. Gross. That does sound like a good endorsement, I gotta say, Salvage. I have queued up Andor based on this boost, and I'm gonna give it a go. The spy theme got me. I like that. I'll let you know, Mr. Dominic, if it's a, if it's a must-watch. The only problem is Picard Season 3 has started up now. Hmm. So I don't know if I can start up Andor until after season three of Picard. I might have to watch that first, but it's in the queue. Uh, Ahadigan comes in with 3,000 sats. I love uh, Chris's crypto rant from last episode. And Mere Mortals comes in with a row of ducks. There definitely needs to be a cleansing of BS in crypto. But wouldn't it be better if that was due to the market rather than big daddy government? I suppose there's a certain fascination watching things get destroyed either way, though. Well, that's a good Good question, mere mortals. But wouldn't you argue that the last few years of just absolute scams and crap that's totally just made up value, like look at what happened with FTX and how SBF was just collateralizing fake made up air tokens to then get real money from customers? Like, doesn't seem like the market was solving that. In fact, if the Federal Reserve hadn't stopped, stepped in and turned off the money and tightened the market up, FTX and SBF would still be going. They'd be wrapping this thing up. They'd be building their moat because they he had a relationship directly with the SEC. And he would be he would be the government blessed, legitimate face of crypto probably by the end of the year. But the money just turned off. Yeah. And now he's flying first class around the country. Wait, what? Yeah. And using a VPN at home to watch football, not to uh, move his crypto around, of course. So I don't know, mere mortals. It feels kind of like maybe the market didn't work. but. Maybe it's because of the centralized manipulation to begin with. So the whole thing's out of whack anyways. Marcel comes in to say, with 1,000 sats, I used to hate jogging, but now that there's slush on the ground, I'm missing it. It's definitely acquired taste. My advice would be to start with something reasonable and with attainable goals. It's not for everyone, though. And then he goes on to say with 1,000 sats, hey, where was that promised server hosting cost discussion? I'm curious what you meant by hot swapping docket. Yes, yes, you know what? You are right. Uh, I did promise that, and I did not do it. Um, I feel like I wanted more information, too, though. Like, Because what, what specifically? So he says the hot swapping docket, but like, I'm curious to know like specifically what people want to know about. I was thinking about that, too, from like from the JB Sand point. It's like, yeah, that's a big question. So what are the specifics that people want to know? Maybe you have something in mind. Yeah, I was, I was going to do a comparison of the various... Uh, like, you know, one level above VPS offerings, right? Like, I know Dio has their app platform. There's obviously Heroku. Linode has something. They're wonderful sponsor. I just use them for VPSs because I'm old. Because they're the best VPSs. Uh, we did get a correction in from the fly.io folks. Uh, Mr. Mark Erickson tweeted at me. And because I don't check Twitter that much anymore, I missed it. So, uh, Fly.io is not built on Docker. It is built on something called Firecracker VM, but it's totally compatible with Docker files, which is why I thought it was Docker itself. They transmogrify them into their own format. 
into the firecracker format. So there we go. Yes. Very good. Uh, yeah, very good. Good to know. Well, so, but for all intents and purposes, just use your Docker file as you normally would. And if you're like me, you literally won't know and someone will correct you on Twitter. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. And uh, the uh, data center cost discussion, maybe we have that again. Still, I'd like to know more information for folks. But yeah, okay. All right. Jeez, sorry. Sorry, Marcel. Sorry. Yeah, geez, we're just getting <laughs> wrecked here. <laughs> Alex Gates gives us a hard time for talking about generative AI as if only Google has problems. I think what we were talking about is how Google's introduction went floppity flop flop and Microsoft is soaring as a result. And Google didn't fall in love with anybody. So that's true. And I don't think we we're either making commentary on either of the bots because all of this is so nascent. It's all basically in the same place. It's, it's all garbage. Yeah. The Golden Dragon comes in with a row of ducks. As a nerd, I quite like the name Bart. Big Googs just fumbled the ever living crap out of it just to have a competitor. Hmm. After all, the AI overlords are coming. Google intentionally drops the ball. So that way they have a antitrust case. Golden Dragon. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? You think they intentionally dropped the Bard introduction? No, I don't. No, no I don't either. <laughs> I don't think they blew it bad. That's what happened. I, I, I don't think they're like, we're just going to mess this one up. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. This is not like corrupt, you know, double A boxing where someone's taking a dive <laughs> and there's some Italian guy in the back. Good work, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, the dragon also gave a plus one for the uh, calling it the combat ready tumbler. Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm April. I'm boosted with a thousand sets. I'm probably butcher, uh, butchering that one. Sorry about that. He says, I think we need another link for laptops roundup for 2023. I keep going back and forth between a new Linux laptop and that MacBook Air with that battery life. It makes me cry. You know, it's Hey Tim Apple, right? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Hey Tim Apple. Thank yeah. you. God, I don't know what's wrong with because me. The Mac, yeah, okay. Yeah, we, we should have a, a laptop uh, roundup. There was discussion at some point of getting a review pangolin. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. They don't, they don't send me review laptops for very good and obvious reasons. Well, I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I may be cut off now, too. I think I got to I get a sense I'm just cut off now anyways. You know what? Yeah. It's all right. They, they don't understand why they always smell like gin or, in most cases, tea now. Yeah, those are collectors. Those are collector units. I don't understand. Collectors. This is the Earl Grey edition. What's wrong? CB boosting with 5,001 sets. A while ago, I boosted in about getting a new job. That's all Microsoft, Woo. Windows, Azure, Microsoft, SQL Teams, Outlook, Visual Studio, etc. After rejecting everything Microsoft from my old job, you guys suggested I try to get familiar with Azure to build up my own skills. At first... I was resistant to the idea, and I didn't think I'd like Azure. It's now been about six months or so. I have to say, I was right. I absolutely loathe everything Azure. It's definitely the old deprotocolization argument. He continues another 5,002 sats, he says. On Azure, everything's a resource that seems to extend a base class with the generic common properties. The issue I have with it is that finding which resource connects with what is difficult it's un unintuitive, but I can see them integrating Lambda into Azure to give users the ability to ask things like, give me all the objects that connect with this and show me all the details on a nice chart. But ultimately, it would still be Azure and Microsoft. <laughs> oh, that sounds like me talking about Windows. It's like, yeah, they can make Windows, the UI, as nice as they want. But at the end of the day, it's still Windows. You're still going to end up editing that registry. I, I don't care what you say. Yeah, that's, I, you yeah. know what? I appreciate the uh, follow-up there, CB. That's that's good to know. I was curious to see how it would work out. I am sorry you found it so frustrating. I wonder if you could work this to like become like a user feedback person for Azure. You know, because sometimes Microsoft will listen. 
Sometimes they're looking for users who've got problems. What's this feedback going to be? Turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I suppose. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear it's gone like that, though. That is... uh, That's rough, dude. That is rough. Uh, Thank you, everybody, who boosted in. Again, newpodcastapps.com if you want to upgrade to a new podcasting 2.0 compatible app. Or if you'd like to keep your damn podcast app, go to getalby.com, top it off, and then head on over to the podcast index. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the good people this week? You know, I don't do Twitter that much anymore, so I don't know where to send you. Just, uh, hey, check out Gamer Radio. Uh, we have a Discord if you want to play Magic Online with us, which is really Magic Arena over there. We do it Thursday nights. Thank you to our members out there, Cutter QA, keeping us going strong, letting us laugh in the face of people that are trying to pay us to bring on to do interviews. Like, you know, it's funny. We get these emails. You're like, hey, I love the show. Oh, they're so beautiful. There's some good ones. I know. And they're like, they they play like they know the show. And then they like try to suggest we do something that is so not what we do in this show that if you listen to like a single episode, <laughs> you would get that. It's so funny. Like they blow it. Like if they just said less, <laughs> they would be more believable. But I just laugh. I laugh in their face. If you want to become a member, coderqa.co is a thank you. You get a ad free version of the show and the coderly report, which I just did a little jingle right there live for you. Coderqa.co. Thank you, everybody out there. The show is on Twitter. Uh, at Coda Radio Show, if that's your bag, and at Jupiter Signal, if you'd like to get updates about all the shows. And then I think the pro move, when you're ready to take things to the next level with us, hang out live. That's right. We do it way early for me. But just right, Mr. Dominic. We do it at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at Jupiter Tube, just about every dang Monday. And of course, if something changes, we update you over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. All right. Links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 506. You'll also find our contact form over there, our RSS feeds, and a lot more. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.